Welcome to the teaching ministry at Crothers Creek Community Church. Good morning to all of you this morning, and a huge hi to the many of you watching again and listening online in our online community. Well, today's message is not going to be done in my normal fashion. Uh, today is going to be more of a family update, some unique happenings that have happened within our church community that, uh, as the leadership, we think we now need to talk about. So today, just so you know, my goal is to inform us as a family over the next three services to lead us in some times of prayer and to provide some next steps. Over a period of four months, just before and after Christmas, like I said, there's been a lot of unusual happenings among our people at Crothers Creek. They are young and they are old, they are men and they are women, and they're involved in all sorts of ministries across our church. So let me take some time to walk through the experiences in brief. Now, again, I just need to say that these experiences came first to myself uh, via email and personal conversations and prayer requests and then to staff and elders. They were not programmed. They weren't asked for. They came from many people. And as more and more people came forward and joined the conversation, it showed us there was a pattern of experiences we needed to talk about. So let me take a few minutes to walk through them and then ask some important questions. The first large theme that's happened across our family in the last four months is an unusual one. It's demonic encounters. Many people started to phone us sheepishly about wicked encounters, and they weren't sure what to do. When people are trying to pray for unsaved family members or friends, they started feeling evil presences in the room, and some actually were physically overwhelmed. Many others called and said their dreams had become quite bizarre. Now, we all have bad dreams when we eat too much. I get that, but this is different. These were highly evil and overtly demonic. Also during this time, parent after parent began to phone the staff about their young children experiencing above and beyond terror and fear in their rooms. Parent after parent began describing to us children seeing dark figures in their rooms, hearing voices, etc. And these parents, by the way, had not talked to each other. Well, as we taught people to pray over their children in their homes and, and families, dramatic encounters began to take place. The staff and others have ended up praying many times during the week with people and after services. And for our releasing prayer ministry, it's been a season of beyond normal dealing with the demonic in people's lives. Well, what does this mean? Well, it would seem that the enemy is starting and trying to shut us down as we're trying to move forward. Is some of this connected to sin? Yes, it is. Is much of it God beginning to expose darkness in our lives and in our family, in our church, as we're trying to move forward? Yes, it is. Is some of this an overt attack uh, by the enemy trying to shut our church down at a strategic time? You bet you it is. And don't forget the prayer we've been praying for four months, right? God, do anything you need to do in my, my life for, for your glory, for our freedom, so the world sees Jesus clearly. And when you ask Jesus sincerely to show up and deal with stuff for real, darkness always does get ruffled. Well, the second theme is another interesting one. It's one of dreams. Staff and elders and many among us started to have vivid dreams about revival, about a large new building, about seeing thousands coming to Jesus. Now, these dreams were never publicly shared till this moment. For example, two people I'm connected to within 12, 12 hours of each other both had a dream of seeing many come to Jesus, thousands, a new building, but they had not even talked to each other, though they work with each other. One of the interesting sub-themes of many of these dreams that people started bringing to us is that they know people in the dream, but they haven't met them yet in our church. 
The third experience among many in their devotional lives was crying out for God to do something new and asking him for a new move of his Holy Spirit in our church. Now, let me make this clear. We all have the Holy Spirit as Christians. Right when we got converted, we were baptized in the Spirit of God. We have the power to live a Christian life at any time. He gives us his character and his gifts and to serve God in the church and in the world. But this cry, this cry was different. It was calling out for God to do something new, to ask for more of his holiness, his power, his courage. It's actually the prayer you find in Acts chapter 4. You can read that later. Many were moved to pray and keep praying, knowing that without God's intervention, we would not grow significantly spiritually, let alone see thousands come to faith. Again, people sheepishly came forward, trying to be humble, but felt compelled to talk to us about these experiences, which were different than their normal prayer experience. The fourth experience that many started to talk with us about was personally and then among small groups crying out for the lost and crying out for prodigals. Some thought and started experiencing a real sense of sadness around people that had not met Jesus yet, those who had not personally experienced God's love through Jesus, and also a deep sadness for those who do know the love of Jesus and have chosen to walk away. Many, including myself, and I include myself here, in devotional times, found ourselves crying, and I mean crying, over the lost. Our hearts starting to get soft again, maybe to the things that matter for eternity, people. The fifth thing that started to happen was personal repentance of sin. Some again began to share that after praying that prayer, God, again, do anything you need to do in my life and in my family, right, for your glory, our freedom, so the world gets to see Jesus clearly, God started to point out sin, started to deal with dark places in our families, our our histories, and our personal lives. There was many who started quietly struggling and still struggle with God about sin in a real, strong, and new way. And this isn't duty or guilt or shame. This was a deep sadness about relationships God sideways. Bitterness and greed and lust and unholy practices and memories that had not been dealt with started to surface. Many actually tied it back to the day that we had that healing service when we ended the book of James series and said to the congregation, well, let's just not hear, but let's do the word of God. And we looked at James 5 and it says, anyone who is sick, which means anyone who's spiritually, emotionally, or physically in trouble, come to the elders and ask for prayer. And we had over 200 people come forward. A lot of people say it started then. Lastly, is a strong sense of the spirit of God during worship services just like this. Some very carefully started talking about sensing God in unique ways during these services. One common theme that's been shared time and time again is trembling. Now, I'm not talking, by the way, about rolling on the ground or eyes rolling back, ever and breathe, but I am talking about being overwhelmed, overwhelmed by God's presence and trembling during worship or preaching or times of communion. It's been connected to crying, to joy, to prayer, senses of deep sadness and expressions of awe, and the list goes on and on. So the question we need to ask at this service and at the next one and at the next one and all of us watching online is this. Why does this matter? I mean, why does it really matter? Why am I actually taking off our preaching schedule to talk about this today? Well, throughout Scripture and holy history, almost every major move of God had one or most of these themes. From the Great Awakenings under Wesley and Whitfield, if you know church history, to the revivals in Wales and Scotland and South Africa and North India, these have all been pre-signs of a coming move of God. 
People like Athanasius, Luther, Luther, Andrew Hyde, Andrew Murray, Jonathan Edwards, Moody, Duncan Campbell, Spurgeon, just to name a few Christian leaders, have all seen this in part and full just before or during a very major move of God that is unusual. Let me give you just for a moment a small timeline of how this has begun to unfold behind the scenes. People started to email and pull me aside with the above experiences saying, well, we think you're a little weird, so maybe you'll be okay with this. <laughs> In my quiet times, something happened unusual. I didn't ask for it. Like I said, I started crying for the lost. I gave all of Crothers Creek over. I came to the, my, the end of my known ability. I asked for the Spirit of God in a new way. I had long times of prayer, and I felt the presence of God I'd never experienced before. Seeing the pattern, I decided to go to Dave, our executive pastor, and share this with him. And as I shared it with him, he smiled and said, well, interesting, here's what I've been going through. Well, after that conversation, we went to the whole pastoral staff, and we met as pastors, and as we began to talk, some of them began to share experiences they were going through, and then other people started approaching them. Well, then the AGC got involved, believe it or not. During the height of this, the president of our association and the district superintendent, that's a bishop in other categories, just showed up to see how things were. They said, let's go for a coffee. And so I'm sitting in Tim Hortons going, oh God, do I really tell them everything? Ten years ago, if I'd mentioned this stuff in the AGC, well, it could have been interesting. I thought it was God's humor as I looked up and I saw Dave Collins and Grant sitting on the other side of Tim Hortons. Just a side note. Anyway, as I was sitting there and was praying, I got the yes, and so I told them everything. I mean everything. And this is their response. Praise God. We were just praying that God's glory would come on your church. Bill, our president, said this, John, here's my advice to you right now. Get out of the way. Write a book later. It's going to get messy. There's going to be good, bad, and lots of criticism, but let God do his thing. I sat there with my roll up the rim, not knowing what to do. I was blown away. Well, next, Dave and I went to the elders. And as we started to share both of our stories and the stories of the staff and the AGC and others, they all started smiling at us. And as we were watching them, they started sharing similar experiences we had had. That night at our first meeting with the elders board at 1045, the elders got on their knees right here in the front of the church and gave the whole church over to God, surrendered fear, surrendered control, and basically prayed, God, do anything you need to do in us. We surrender control to you. You're the head. Our desire is that this church would love Jesus sincerely, and thousands would come to know Jesus and only him. Well, after that, we carefully have unfolded this. We met with the MAC. Dave went with the Management Advisory Council and talked to them, and then we had an open night with the ministry team leaders, what we call the MTL, those who run all of our ministries and shared this, and again, uh, stories began to come out. Now, just before I keep going, let me just stop and remind all of us that in January, we did a series called Touching Heaven and Changing Earth, which is connected to this, where we simply defined what not just regular moves of God are, but what unique moves of God are. And there were three words we used, and I don't know if you remember. One was renewal, one was revival, and one was an awakening. Now, they're interchanged, but let me show you sort of where we're at. Renewal for me is when one Christian has a profound reawakening in their spiritual life. It's a personal revival where they've been faithful for years, but suddenly there is a new season of love and devotion to Christ, and their lives are transformed beyond normal. Revival is when God comes on a whole church, 
it doesn't matter age or stage, children, teenagers, young adults, adult, the aged. God comes on a whole church, and there's a unique season of of deep religious, and I mean that in the right sense, interest, a, a very deep excitement about the things of God. Other things just don't matter anymore. God matters, and his kingdom matters. An awakening is the exciting one. It's when the wider society is impacted, when people not connected to church en masse start meeting Jesus. It's an inner work in a person and then a church that produces uh, beyond normal experiences outside the church. Like I shared in that series in January, I love the definition written by a guy named Richard Owen Roberts who said, revival and renewal and awakenings are an extraordinary, and that's the important word, an extraordinary move of the Holy Spirit producing extraordinary results. It's a unique period in time. Now, when things like this started happening, and after we evaluated them, make sure it wasn't insanity or, or evil itself, here's the questions we asked. God, why are you doing this, and what do you want us to do about it? And as we prayed and read Scripture and read history, two things came out very strongly. Pray, 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 and pray, and repent of sin. You see, all of the above that I've shared so far is a precursor to the real event about to happen. Now, what I'm about to share to you may be as foreign with most, but it's very biblical. Every move of God in history is marked by a promise and by definition. God tends to give promises and definitions sometimes to a person, sometimes to a leader or a group of leaders, and sometimes just to a group of people in the church so they can pray with faith and authority. That is, they can say this, and listen closely, God, you started this, not me. You promised this, not me. And since we now know it's your will, with humble expectation, we're coming back and asking you to act. This is not when we pray for God's will, but actually when we bring up what his will is for us because he's already shown it to us. This is prayer back to God about his character and his promises. It's the prayer and the dialogues we see in Scripture. And if you need to read them today, do it. Abraham and God over Sodom in Genesis 18. Go home and read it. It's the prayer of Jacob when he wrestles and will not let go until God gives him a blessing in Genesis 32. It's Moses wrestling with God over the leadership and the future of Israel and the nations in Exodus 31, 32, and 33. It's Hannah crying out for God to give her a child because she was barren and crying out until God did something about it. And you see that in 1 Samuel 1. This type of prayer is somewhere between what we call intercession prayer and authoritative prayer. And again, it's rare for us to talk this way, but it's very biblical. I love Richard Foster's definition in his book, Prayer, on both of these. He he defines intercession like this. Just follow it. When we move from petition to intercession, we, sh- we, we shift our center of gravity from our own needs to, to the needs and concerns of others. Intercessory prayer is selfless prayer, even self-giving prayer. Now, authoritative prayer is when we call forth the will of God upon the earth. We agree with heaven and expect it on earth. So, this is what we did. We said, Lord, if this is real and this is happening and you've started this, then here's our one question to you as the head of the church. What's the promise? You need to give us scriptures right now. We need needed verses so we can pray what you want. We don't want to invent anything ourselves. Again, like I said, every move of God is marked by a promise and definition. God gives them to people, to to leaders, to a group, so you can intercede with authority and pray. It's what we actually learned in our 1 John series, right? We just talked about this a few weeks ago. 1 John 5, 14, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to 
his will. He hears us, and we know that he hears us. Whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. Uh, Jesus put it this way in Mark 11, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for me in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And so we wrestled with God, and we've been very quiet about it, as you all know. And God has given us two passages. One is a promise of his coming move among us, and the other is going to describe actually what's about to happen among us. It was an unusual prayer time for myself during that period. It was 11 o'clock at night. All the girls were asleep, and I was just praying downstairs. And as I was praying, this reference came into my mind. It was Second Chronicles chapter 5. If you've got a Bible, I'd love you to turn there, please. Now, I couldn't place what that chapter was. I could not think what it was about. And, and, and here's the funny part. I'm praying, I could not find a Bible for the life of me around me. So all I could find was this, my Blackberry. So I grabbed my Blackberry and I turned on my online Bible. And as I went to turn it on, it says you need a software update. And no joke, I heard God say, I'll wait. I had no clue what to do with that. <laughs> anyway... So I said, wow, this is getting weird. Anyway, so um, I did the software update, and, and, I, and again, I heard, read Second Chronicles 5. So I opened it up and read it, and as I was reading it, I knew this was important for us. And so through lots of prayer and communal discussion and decision, I do stand here today, and just hear this. I stand here today as one of your pastors saying that this is a promise for our church. This is not invention. This is a promise from heaven for us, and you watching for you too. Second Chronicles 5, I'm just going to read it. When all the work of Solomon had been done for the temple of the Lord, and it was finished, he brought in the things that his father had dedicated, silver, gold, and furnishings, and he placed them in the treasury of God's temple. Then Solomon surrounded to Jerusalem the, el- summoned, sorry, the Jerusalem, to Jerusalem the elders of Israel, all the heads of the tribes and chiefs of the Israelite families, and to bring up the ark of the Lord's covenant from Zion, the city of David. And all the men of Israel came together to the king at that time of the festival in the seventh month. When all the elders of Israel had arrived, the Levites took up the ark, and they brought up the ark and the tent of meeting and all the sacred furnishings in it. The priests, who were Levites, carried them up, and King Solomon and the entire assembly of Israel that had gathered about him were before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and cattle they could not be recorded or counted. Just think about that as an image for a second. The priest then brought up the Ark of the Lord's Covenant to its place, the inner sanctuary of the temple, the most holy place, and put it beneath the wings of the cherubim. And the cherubim spread their wings over the place of the Ark and covered the Ark and its carrying poles. These poles were so long to their ends, extending from the Ark, they could be seen from uh, the front of the inner sanctuary, but not from the outside of the holy place, and they're still there today. There was nothing in the ark except two tablets that Moses had placed there in Horeb, where the Lord made a covenant with the Israelites after they came out of Egypt. Then the priests withdrew from the holy place, and all the priests were there, and they consecrated themselves regardless of division. All the Levites who were musicians, Asphah, Haman, Jetham, and their sons and relatives stood on the east side of the altar, dressed in fine linen, playing cymbal and harp and lyre. They were accompanied by 120 priests sounding trumpets. The trumpeters and singers joined in unison as with one voice and gave praise and thanks to the Lord, accompanied again by trumpets, cymbal, and other instruments. They raised their voices in praise to the Lord, and they sang this, He is good, and His love endures forever. And then it says, The temple of the Lord was filled with a cloud. And the priests could not perform their services because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Now remember what we learned in our series, Touching Heaven and Changing Earth. 
The cloud throughout the Bible is God's Spirit. God is always with us, yes, and helps us. But from time to time, and this is what's important, God moves in an unusual way and gives His people His manifest presence. A bright cloud. The history of this cloud is central to what we're talking about today. This cloud is what we call the Shekinah glory of God. It means the dwelling place or dwelling presence of God. It's a term used by rabbis to mean the very presence of God. The supernatural cloud is always connected to brilliance and glory and fire, a move of God, an overwhelming presence of God. Now the presence was experienced at the giving of the Ten Commandments. The wilderness wanderings where Israel was led by a pillar of cloud during the day and, and fire by night. It was experienced at both the dedication of the tabernacle and the temple. It's seen and was experienced when the fire came down on Mark Carmel and consumed the altar. It was seen at the call of Isaiah and Ezekiel. It's the glory that shone around the shepherds at Christmas when the angel sang and announced the birth of Jesus. It's seen at the transfiguration of Jesus. And also, here it is, at the birth of the church in Acts 2. It says that fire came down from heaven and then split into tongues and rested on the church. It's seen at the death of Stephen. It's seen also at the conversion of Paul. And it's also been seen at every major move of God since. So here's the question for us today. Well, what does all this mean for us? Well, as I prayed, this is the sense I got. God is about to move in an unusual way. His cloud, which is the Spirit of God, is about to come upon us for a period, and we are going to be, and here's the honest truth, overwhelmed. Don't forget as Christians, we are the temple, and though we have the Holy Spirit, we are called to be filled time and time again. Paul teaches us that. I think it's interesting in the passage that they worship from the east, and we're in Durham, just a side note. Yet there are two key things I think we really need to see. Here's the first thing. People came to worship God, and they came with expectation. They weren't like this. They were like this. And second, and most important is this. I don't know if you caught it. It says that they placed the tabernacle into the temple. They placed the tabernacle into the temple. All that was good and godly, what had been used to worship God from Moses all the way to David, is now inserted into the new work, into this new temple. Well, as I was reading this near the end, uh, this is what I heard. And hear it correctly, please. What Steeple Hill and Crothers Creek has been will now be inserted into my new work. Never forget, and this is me speaking now, that both are good and godly, but God moves and he has his timetable. I think we've slowly begun to see a new work emerge over time, but this brings it into very, very clear focus. Well, once we begin to think through this, and a promise had been given to us, then we went before the Lord and said, okay, if that's really true, then what's the definition? See, if this is the promise, what is it going to look like? Every move of God throughout history has a unique expression. It has a purpose for that time, uh, that season. And through, again, some series of prayer times, this is the definition. It's 2 Corinthians 5.8. Not 2 Chronicles now, it's 2 Corinthians 5.8. And this is, uh, this is how it reads. We are confident, I say, that we'd prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please Him, whether we're at home in the body or we're away from it. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, and that each one may receive what is due him or her for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. Here it is. As God does a new thing among us, my prayer and expectation now is there will be a season of unnatural love for Jesus, beyond family, beyond stuff, beyond status, and even the things of the world. Every real move of God, by the way, uplifts Jesus. Not John Thompson, not a pastor, not a leader, not Crothers Creek or any other church, but Jesus who draws all people. 
I think there's going to be a new level of holiness, of doing the things of God, because we will be very aware, maybe some of us for the first time, that we are going to face the one we love at the judgment seat of Christ. Not about salvation, but how we've lived. There's going to be a new passion to please Jesus, a new love for prayer, for Scripture in our personal lives and in our community. And let me say this too. Every great move of God in history, there is always a new sense of love for those outside of the church that is supernaturally or uh, supernaturally brought to being. So the question, again, we kept asking was, what, what does this mean? What do we do with this? Well, it seems that God has begun something by his sovereign move, and he's given us, and here's the word, a precursor to what is about to take place. And though this is his decision and his initiation, there is a role for us as a church, which I'm going to address in a moment. Now, let me just address some of your inner dialogue right now. Some of you are already saying this, John, what if this hasn't happened to me? Am I unspiritual? Am I in sin? Am I a a lesser Christian than others? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But I would say this. Let's be honest for once and see if sin is really blocking God's work among us. Again, I think this is God prepping his community. That is why much of this has happened, and this is important, to different people, of different ages and stages with all sorts of spiritual experiences, not just those who are inclined this way or gifted this way. Here's the next question. John, I like you, but are we going off the deep end? (laughs) Yes. No, no, no. No. No, we're not. Let me tell you, if this had been another church context, I would have got up right when this happened to me and had trumpets blown and said this is about to take place. You can see by the pattern we've done here, we've been unbelievably cautious to make sure not to invent anything or to start anything or produce anything. We've taken this through every single layer of leadership in our church to make sure that there was no huge red flags. No, we're not going off the deep end. But let me say to you also something else. The day of many of us trying to control God and making Him safe or controllable, or fitting into what you think or you want him to be, hear it. It's coming to an end today. I remind all of you, we're dealing with God. Burning bushes, splitting seas, visions, lights, fire, dreams, healings, deliverances, conversion, salvation, freedom, and the like. He is the author of scripture, and he's the author of history, and the unique work of God is not a past event we just get to read about in holy scripture. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And to be honest, to see many of our Christian lives move forward beyond the craziness that Dan referred to in our lives, let alone, let's be honest, see thousands really come to faith in Jesus, it's going to take a cloud from heaven. It's going to. Now, let me say what, something else. We're still going to focus on what we focus on. We're still going to do worship services and preach and do Bible studies and communion and fellowship and evangelism and, and small groups. We're going to do all of that. But I really strong, I strongly tell you, go home and read Acts 2 today. Go home and read Acts 9 today. Go home and read Acts 4 today. Read Acts 19 today. What you'll notice is it's not an either-or thing. It's all of that plus works of God. All of it's the work of God. And what God is starting to do, I think, among us is balance our church out. So then the great question as I come to an end is this. John, what are we supposed to do then? I mean, honestly, what are we supposed to do? Well, let me remind you of something. God tends to give a picture first. Think about it. Abraham, 
Noah, Nehemiah, Jeremiah, Jesus, uh, Joseph, just to name a few, were all given what the clear future would look like in the end. Absolutely clear, but they had a role. Now, after Mission Sunday next week, where George Verwer is going to come and, and preach, and we're going to do some great things there, and a reminder, too, we've got a special offering next week to help some mission stuff out. After that happens, in that significant Sunday, Dave and I are going to get up, and we're going to do a three-part series called DNA, who, who we are, who we were, who we are, and who we're becoming, and we're going to talk about that very clear future. But in the interim, the question is, what do we do with this coming move in this context? Well, there are three things, and if you write them down, that's great. Here's the first one. Each one of us personally needs to go before God and say, I'm open, I'm expectant. What things do I need to deal with? What sin do I need to deal with? What views of you do I need to change? And here's the big one. What are you asking me to do? What are you asking me to do because I work for you? Second, We as a corporate family now need to commit to a prayer life that has not been shared by all of us, though we've asked for it. We need to pray, like we say it, pray it through. Pray until something happens. Now, this is not saying, uh, God, please do something we started, so you need to bless it. This is saying, you started this, so we're coming, and now we're praying, here it is, with expectation. All of us, hear this, each person and each small group, and I'm talking about children, parents, you need to introduce your children to this, teenagers, This is important for you. Every young adult, every adult, everyone who's aged, every one of us, every day now need to go before the Lord and we need to pray the promise and the description. We need to go before the Lord individually and say to the Lord, you have promised us this. So I bring this scripture and read it to him. You think that's weird? Go back and read all the things I've referred to already. Go back and read it to him and say, I am expectant, humbly, for this move, and then pray, I pray for myself and Crothers Creek that we look like 2 Corinthians 5, 8 through 10. That's what we need to do. And we need to keep praying and praying, even, oh, by the way, during cottage season, until something happens. Now, this is what usually happens in very pragmatic churches. Well, I prayed it, and I prayed it twice, and it didn't work, so I'm done praying. This is not about pragmatism anymore. This is about a new word faithfulness. Faithfulness. Number one, we need to ask God, what do you say to me? Number two, we need to get to the place where we start praying individually and corporately all the time until God moves. And here's the third thing. We're going to provide an ongoing corporate prayer experience for those who can make it. Dave and I, every, uh, will be leading a prayer time every Wednesday night from seven to eight o'clock right here. And I realize this is time and sacrifice, but we need to respond to God. Now, by the way, this is for, I mean, everybody, all ages and stages. Some of you are scared because you're quiet, you don't really pray out loud, and other people, you know, they're really eloquent in prayer, and they're loud, and they pray for hours, and you guys tend not to look at each other because you don't know what's going on. Um, We need everyone to start praying, and you're welcome to come. Those who pray out loud, those who pray silently, those who pray in between. It's not about style anymore. It's about the act of prayer. It's the church saying to God, come and renew me. God, come and revive us. And then here's the great one. Come please, 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 and awaken our area. It's a place where we start saying to God, after my family dies, uh, God, after my kids walk away, or here's the big one that's rarely prayed anymore around here. Lord, act or my neighbor goes into a Christless eternity. 
And that's the significant hope that I have. So I come before you just simply today to share what's been happening behind the scenes. It's an unusual thing. It's a wonderful thing. I think you should be excited and encouraged because God, not us, decided to do this. And now the question is this. Will we join him? Remember, like I said, on Easter, church isn't about us. We get to join the mission of the Father who sent the Son who's sending the Spirit. We join his deal. He's not joining our deal. And the question is, it's like the promised land, right? The promised land is now before us. God has now given us very direct promises. He's spoken to the leadership of the church. It's been confirmed time and time again. God is saying, now go, and we have a question in front of us. Are we going to say yes or no, I want to wander for 40 more years? I can't make you do this because I'm not your master or your Lord or your Savior. I just work for him. (laughs) The question is, and it's a serious question, this day, mark it, is a pivotal day in the history of this church. Are we going to say yes or no? All I can say to you as a servant of God is this. He started something. We've checked it out. I'm absolutely terrified and elated. And now I'm praying that God would do something. And here's why. I want to know Jesus more. I want my family to meet Jesus. I do. And I want this area to be changed big time. And yes, there's plans and all that. But I understand more than anything else, it's, it's his deal. So my challenge to you is this. Go back and re-listen to what I've said today. Don't misquote me. (laughs) Listen and listen again. Pray and say, Lord, what are you about to do? So that's it. So I'm going to pray, and then I think Dan's going to come up and lead us in a response, and and we'll see what happens, and I'll talk about this in a minute. So just join me uh, as we pray. So, Lord, um, hmm. a lot of us, probably most of us, didn't expect this this morning. And to be honest, in December, I didn't expect it. And so here's a few simple prayers, I suppose. Number one, we acknowledge you're the head of this church. Number two, we come before you as a community and we say thank you that you would even choose to start doing this among us. You didn't have to. And we acknowledge right now up front as this begins, um, we know it's not about our church. And it's not about our reputation. And our prayer simply as a community is that you would remove confusion, comfort, and fear. And that you would give us unbelievable excitement and joy I have no clue when you're going to do this, Lord. I just know that you've promised it now. And I suppose this is the best place to start with this community this morning. Lord, we bring before you 2 Corinthians and 2 Chronicles 5. We bring before you 2 Chronicles that says that you've done great things in our history through Steeple Hill and Crothers Creek. We thank you for that. And you're about to do something new, and we don't get all of that, but we ask you now to do it in Jesus' name. We ask for your Holy Spirit to come among us, and we don't put you in a box. Do what you must do for your glory. 
And the second thing we pray is this. May this move of God uplift Jesus only. And may we have a new sense and longing for Jesus that is so unnatural that we'd almost want to be away from the body and a home with the Lord. That we'd start serving in a new way, that there'd be new freedom among us. And I, I pray this too, that there'd be a deep sense and awareness among us now in a new way that we are going to actually face you and talk about how we lived our lives and what we did with them. With our money, our time, our talents, our gifts, everything that we are. So as a community, we just pray, have, uh, have at it. Uh, do your will, we pray. And with great expectation and excitement, this is at least where I end today, my prayer with my friends. God, don't just renew one person. And don't just revive our church for a season where we get to love you. Come in such power. Such power that not only are marriages healed and people fall back in love with you and things, kids come back who've run away. Like, not just that. We pray in faith for thousands of people to meet Jesus. You've done it before. I've read the history. You've done it so many times before. So I suppose I cry to the Old Testament. We have heard of your great deeds. Why not in our day? That's our prayer. Come and do what you need to do with us. In Jesus' name. And all of God's sake, people said, Amen. Thanks for being with us today. If you want to know more about our church or give financially, go to our website at www.crotherscreek.ca. 